0: We'll start your Monday off with some not-so-great news. Some of the nation's largest pharmacies, including CVS and Walmart, are cutting hours amid a staffing shortage. It's the latest in workforce issues that have been plugging in the sector. But on a brighter note, new research found that eating tree nuts like walnuts can boost serotonin. News you can use on a Monday. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ben Leonard. Florida Republican Vern Buchanan is set to chair the House Ways and Means Committee's health subcommittee. It comes after he lost his bid to chair the full committee to Missouri Republican Jason Smith in a tight race. He said his top priorities will include bolstering innovation, expanding telehealth access, and strengthening Medicare. The FDA has proposed loosening restrictions on blood donations from men who have sex with men. The policy, if finalized as expected, would provide the loosest restrictions on donations since the HIV AIDS crisis, although restrictions were also relaxed in 2015 and again in April 2020 because of blood shortages due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The policy would allow gay and bisexual men to donate blood if they take a questionnaire and report that they have not had sex with a new partner or multiple people in the past three months, among other eligibility criteria. We report exclusively that Senate Finance Chair Ron Wyden is looking to expand on his Chronic Care Act. That bipartisan 2018 legislation allowed Medicare plans to pay for non-medical services for people with chronic conditions and expanded telehealth and at-home care. And Catherine Allen Foley is here to talk about the latest in COVID-19 vaccine news. On Thursday, the FDA's expert panel on vaccines voted to recommend that anyone who gets a primary COVID vaccine going forward will receive a bivalent shot instead of the original formula.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: So we've got some news about the sort of new plan for COVID vaccines. What's
1: the deal here? Yeah. So on Thursday, the FDA took sort of the first step in a very long process that we would see for potentially updating the future of the way we get COVID-19 vaccines. In this first step, FDA's advisors have said that they they recommend that we retire some of the old monovalent COVID-19 shots and use only the updated bivalent shots. So anyone who who hasn't been vaccinated yet would get an updated bivalent shot instead of these older monovalent shots like people who got vaccinated early on did. And there's about 20% of the U.S. population that hasn't gotten a single COVID shot yet. So that's primarily who this would be affecting.
0: Okay. So what questions do we still have? And do you know what the plans are for the old vaccines?
1: Yeah, we have a lot of unanswered questions about what may be coming down the line. One thing the FDA had talked about but didn't necessarily make any concrete decisions on yet are what future vaccination campaigns are going to look like. So one of the ideas they had floated around in this big discussion on Thursday was whether or not we would move to sort of a model that mirrors the flu vaccine every year. And although experts stressed that COVID-19 is not the flu, it would certainly simplify the immunization schedule every fall. If we were going to say, okay, now you need a flu shot and your COVID-19 shot. So they talked a lot about what it might look like to update COVID-19 shots annually. So, you know, you could go in and get a combination COVID and flu shot, like many people did this year, based on the variants that we think are going to be the most problematic in the fall, which is when respiratory illnesses like COVID, flu, and RSV tend to be at their worst. But as you pointed out, there are a lot of unanswered questions here. Like, what do we do with all of these monovalent shots that we still have? Do we donate them to other countries? I mean, I think based on some of the data that we've seen, there's a lot of evidence that Even though the mRNA shots that are monovalent don't protect as well against some of these newer variants, shots from Novavax, for example, which doesn't use mRNA, actually generates a ton of protection against a lot of variants. And so if we're thinking that the goal is to primarily avoid hospitalization, it's not the worst to, you know, increase access to vaccines overall through donating some of these old shots. But we really have no idea what we're going to do with them.
0: Mm, Okay. Was there any sort of pushback to this annual shot proposal? Do some people think we need it more often or that, you know, we don't know enough yet? What's sort of been the thinking and criticism from the outside here?
1: There's definitely some tension within vaccine experts when they question, you know, what is the purpose of vaccinations in general? Is it to prevent disease entirely? Is it to prevent transmission? Or is it to prevent hospitalization and severe disease in people? And, that was definitely something that came up in, you know, these first discussions. Because right now, it looks like COVID vaccines are pretty good at keeping people out of the hospital. And that might change as the virus mutates. But for the most part, it's pretty good at keeping healthy individuals out of the hospital. Of course, we need to continue evaluating information for those who may have compromised immune systems or those who've never been exposed to the virus, like kids. But Moving forward, what some experts disagree about is whether we would continue to need annual shots if we are otherwise healthy. Like how much of a benefit would we actually be getting from these additional shots versus the potential risk of side effects. And the one side effect we've seen over and over again is this risk of myocarditis or pericarditis, which is the swelling of the heart muscle or heart tissue in particularly in young men, although it can happen in women as well, aged 18 to 35. So some experts would argue that we need to see more data in the long term on like what would happen if we got these mRNA shots in particular year after year. And do we really need them? Because, you know, even though vaccines are life-saving and largely, largely safe. Anytime we put something else into our bodies, you know, experts want to make sure they are the safest they can possibly be because it's still something else. The other question that people have is, are people going to get an annual COVID shot, right? We see that people do not get their flu shots on a regular basis. And there are questions of like, Would it really matter in the grand scheme of things? We know, though, that this is one of the differences between the flu and COVID. When we predict the flu strain incorrectly, many, many more people are hospitalized from the flu. But we haven't really seen that with COVID yet. People are still largely protected from hospitalizations, assuming that they are healthy already. Again, the other challenging thing is when we're talking about potentially doing this on a year-over-year basis... That's just not even a ton of time to generate data and collect data on, you know, is this helping us? Is this not helping us? So it's still very squishy. We have to see how it's going to work out in practice. And it's going to require a lot of cooperation between federal agencies like the CDC and the NIH and the FDA and these vaccine manufacturers like Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, Novavax, and, you know, any other players who might want to join.
0: How does the end of COVID funding and the potential end of the public health emergency affect what people are going to end up paying at the counter for vaccines here?
1: I, I couldn't tell you at this point. There have been a lot of talks about commercializing COVID-19 vaccines, which would mean that instead of the federal government paying for them, insurers would have to cover them, or you could be paying out of pocket. There have been some prices floated by companies like Pfizer and Moderna, but, you know, that that ranged to like around $100, $150. In that range, but nothing has really been finalized. So yeah, that could absolutely be um, a consideration moving forward for people who in particular are uninsured. I would say insurance companies are are likely to cover vaccinations. They typically like to cover things that keep you out of the hospital, <laughs> but that's a big question for people who are uninsured and would be staring down the cost of paying for these out of pocket. They probably wouldn't be able to.
0: And just sort of taking a step back here a little bit, what does this say about where we are in the pandemic response and kind of where we're headed?
1: You know, it's funny because federal officials, in in my experience or from my reporting, haven't said the E word, endemic, but mm. a lot of other experts in the space are voicing that. And so it does seem to me like this is the FDA really taking the first step and saying, what's this going to look like as we live with it from now on? And certainly some of the FDA's expert advisors also said the E-word and said, you know, this is this is what we need to be talking about as we're moving into an endemic phase. So it's definitely, you know, an ongoing conversation. The goal moving forward, I think that federal agencies and the FDA in particular has at, at the forefront of its mind is How can we simplify this process moving forward as we are living with this in the long run?
0: Well, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: And that's our show. Our music is by the Mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Vantine, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ahmed is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ben Leonard. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.